days away from the year 2021. There's not one amen after that. I kind of thought we'd get at least a couple, you know, fist pumps or something. Um, Four days away from 2021. This is the year that everyone wanted to be over with by March. A pandemic, racial wars, um, a presidential election, the perfect storm. But if we're honest, you know, it's not like we entered the, the next world war or relived a Great Depression Um, It's been rough, and it's been historic, and we'll be talking about this for a long time. Uh, But we're here, and our bellies are full, and Christmas still came, and we're doing okay. Uh, Nevertheless, we are looking forward to the new year with even more eagerness than normal. We approach the turning of a calendar year with optimism, with excitement, with new resolves and resolutions and things that we want to see happen in the next year. And of course, I think that's intensified with a year like 2020. We want to see more uh, good things happen in 2021. And so I think it's necessary to add to that fire with God's word this morning, which is what I'm seeking to do. And I think there's no greater New Year's text than Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is a unique letter from Paul to the Philippians. It's unique in that it actually contains Paul's testimony of who he once was to who he is now. He speaks of that elsewhere, but very clearly here in Philippians, he says who he used to be. He says in uh, verse 2, he had much confidence in the flesh. He spells out these seven forms of fleshly achievements and privilege and confidence. He was circumcised. That is a religious privilege. He was of Israeli descent, an Israelite of Israelites, right? That is ancestral privilege. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, an ethnic privilege. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a cultural privilege. He was a Pharisee of the law, an educational privilege. He was taught the things of God. He says he was a zealous persecutor of the church, a personality privilege. And then finally, he says that he kept the law blamelessly, a moral privilege. He had everything going for him, right? His life was the reverse of 2020. Everything was right. Uh, But he goes on to say that whatever gain he had, he counted as loss. Or worse, he says, rubbish, which is probably the closest the apostle will ever get to saying a curse word. Dung. Right? Trash, garbage, the refuse of all things. Now why on earth would he call these things rubbish that many of us humans would would consider great treasures on earth to have these wonderful privileges? Well, Paul found something of surpassing worth. And that is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Shailin calls this phrase the very essence of Christianity. We have found something of surpassing worth. The greatest treasures of all the earth and personal ambitions do not compare with the joy of knowing Jesus. And not only knowing Jesus, but knowing Jesus more and more and more and more. Year after year after year after year. Nothing can compare to knowing Christ 
Knowing Jesus is the most joyful endeavor that mankind can stumble upon. And once we know him, we spend the rest of our lives seeking to know him more. Now, many treat Christianity as something very different, don't we? The world might define Christianity as one of the many religions in which people give their money towards charitable things and they listen to inspiring messages on the weekends. Some might think of Christianity as what they see on the televangelist channel, right? On public TV and the guys with funny looking hair. Others might see Christianity as an American religion, primarily uh, filled with those in the Bible Belt and the Republican Party. We've all heard, perhaps, the false claim that Christianity is just a bunch of rules and just a bunch of hypocrites who don't keep the rules, right? But we know what Christianity is, don't we? Christianity, perhaps in its most simplest form, is knowing Jesus. And knowing Jesus more. Our life is just a few decades of studying Jesus until we get to go be with Jesus. That's what the Christian life is, right? A few decades of studying Jesus until we get to go and be with Jesus. And we will see him in 1 Thessalonians. says we will be made like him when we see him, right? We will be glorified. Our journey goes something like this if you've never heard this terminology before. Justification, sanctification, glorification, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification. So in this new year, 2021, I'm calling us to heed the scriptures. We've been justified by faith in the blood of Jesus. He's been the sacrifice for our sin. We've been justified, which means we're now in the process of being sanctified. Right? All of us. It's a slow, gradual becoming like Christ. Becoming holy until Christ comes and we are glorified and finally made perfect. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But there's a phrase we use a lot um, as Christians. We talk about being saved, right? Talk about being saved. What does it mean to be saved? I got saved when I was X years old, right? What does it mean to be saved? Well, I think what we mean when we say that is that God has regenerated our hearts, right? We were dead, and now we've become alive by the Holy Spirit through the knowledge of His Son and the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been changed. That's what we mean when we've been, we say we've been saved. But in that moment, we were justified in God's sight, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. We mean that we've been converted. We've been justified. But what does it mean to be saved? What are we saved from then, Romans 5, 9, what does it say? Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath to come. So, and First Thessalonians testifies to this as well, that Paul recounts their salvation saying that Jesus will deliver them from the wrath to come. So my point here is that every Christian has been justified, but we are not yet saved because of the wrath of God that has not yet come. When we say we're we're, we're going to be saved, there's this future sense in which God's wrath will come and we will be saved from God Himself, right? Saved from God and to God, from His wrath and saved unto Him, right? It's not just about going to heaven. It's about being saved from the wrath that we deserve and spending the rest of all of eternity with God. The Lord. This is what it means to be saved. So we're all justified, 
And we wait for the day of salvation, right? We wait for the day of salvation, which means that we're running towards it. We're eager and expectant towards our coming salvation. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? Already, not yet kind of stuff? We're saved, but we ain't. You know what I'm saying? All right. I confused you. But Paul reflects on his former life, and he's resolved to worship Christ without looking back, pressing on towards the coming salvation, the coming glorification, when he will see Christ, be made like him, be saved from the wrath to come. He longs for that day. 2021 is an opportunity for us to press on together as a church, to forget what lies behind, not looking back, but looking ahead towards our growth and our final victory in Jesus. So I want to address just two thoughts that this text brings to our attention. Why we press on and how we press on. Why we press on and how we press on. Look at verse 12 once again. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And first of all, what does pressing on even mean? Right? I think that's kind of a, a figure of speech that we use without thinking most of the time. Probably something like when you're, when you're having a hard time, you say, well, we just got to press on, right? Just got to get through it. And I think we mean that in a pretty sour way, like we just got to make do. But in the Greek, it's just one small word, dioko. It refers to an aggressive pursuit, chasing after something with all earnestness and zeal. In a negative sense, it actually means to uh, hunt down something, to persecute, or to literally hunt down an animal, right? Um, to persecute another person relentlessly. Uh, it's the same word in John 15 when Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you, Dioko. Acts 9, Jesus says to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. Pressing on after me. The King James Version says, I follow after. The New Christian Standard Bible says, I make every effort. Does that help you get the picture of what pressing on looks like? Um, it's not just getting by. It's running hard after something. Diligently, aggressively, like a lion chasing after his dinner. Right? Or maybe you chasing after your dinner on a normal Tuesday. I don't know. Uh, but this is what the pursuit of Christ is to look like in the Christian life. While the feeling of New Year's resolutions is in the air and old Lang sign is in our ears, let us resolve to press on. Let us resolve to run after Christ with all that we have. And, well, the first question, of course, is why? Why? Why press on? I believe God is sovereign. I believe he will, he will grow and sanctify me. What do I have to do? I had nothing to do with my justification. Christ called me. He justified me by his grace alone. He did it all. What do I have to do? What am I responsible for? Well, first of all, justification happens instantaneously, right? In a moment, we are justified. Sanctification does not work that way. Justification makes us positionally righteous in Christ, so we'll be found in Christ with a righteousness not of our own, but of, but of Him, right? Sanctification is the process of becoming what Christ has already given. Let me say that again. That's probably one you want to write down. 
Sanctification is the process of becoming what Christ has already given. He's given us his righteousness. That's why Colossians 1, Paul says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, why would Paul pray for the Colossians to walk worthy and bear fruit if they just expected the Lord to do it, right? Paul expected them to have some skin in the game. We have some responsibility in our sanctification. God does grow us. He does complete what he starts. Amen and amen. Sovereign grace. He is in control. But we have an obligation to walk in his growing grace. Consider the flowers and the trees. They sit humbly on the ground. They do not move. We wouldn't even know they were living things if it weren't for science. Right? They just sit there. But at a glimpse of the sun, they begin to stretch and bloom and, and turn and, and move and grow almost miraculously sometimes. You almost can watch them move. And this is why vines grow up the sides of houses. This is why trees will bend and lean almost to their detriment, right? Until their roots start popping out of the ground just to get more sunlight. Amen. Amen. And this is also why some plants will never grow if they stay in the shade. Don't stay in the shade. Position yourself in the sunlight of God's growing grace that you might press on. Charles Spurgeon said, if he gives you the grace to make you believe, he will give you the grace to live a holy life afterward. So why then? Why, why, why? Why must we press on? It's simple. The only reason we wouldn't press on is if we'd already reached it, right? If we had already been glorified, if we'd already been perfected. If we don't press on, we tell the world we've already achieved it. We're already there. I don't have to grow. I've made it, right? What does Paul say? I haven't obtained it, right? I'm not already perfect. I've not achieved resurrection from the dead, He says in verse 11, I press on then to make it my own. Now Josh uh, called out a lot of false teachers last Sunday, didn't he? I'll add one more to the list. Uh, You might have heard of a religious group called the Quakers. There was a movement that started in the 17th century, still alive today. And in fact, it's deceiving thousands in Africa. You may not realize that. But they taught that Christians could achieve perfection and holiness right here, right now. And of course, they had their own Quaker Bible to help back that up. The only problem with that is that it's contrary to what Paul teaches in Philippians 3. Even Paul, an apostle who met Christ on the road to Damascus and was blinded and saved miraculously, right? even he said, I have not achieved it. I'm not there, which is why I must press on until Christ comes or I go to him and we finish the job. I must press on. This is why we teach the phrase 
You know, Paul, the, the one who wrote the infallible scriptures, infallible scriptures written by fallible men. The men weren't perfect who wrote the Bible. But the Bible itself is indeed perfect, erroneous, without uh, error. Perhaps the Quaker doesn't have to press on. But as for me and Paul, and I'm guessing you too, we have to press on because we haven't reached it, have we? We have to press on. And I think most of us really have a tendency to go in the opposite direction. We say, well, I'm, I'm not perfect, right? But I do my best. I try. Nobody's perfect. So, you know, and we sort of use that as an excuse to not grow. Well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. So why should I, you know? Um, and we justify ourselves with that. We, we justify our laziness, our lack of pressing on. And listen, we won't be perfect until our glorification. But we strive towards that goal anyways because knowing Jesus is a far surpassing treasure than all other pursuits. We also press on, as Paul says, because Christ has made us His own. We press on because we're not perfect and we, we won't be. We also press on because Christ has made us His own. We want to make salvation our own because Christ bought us. He owns us. And He gave us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, right? We belong to Jesus. This is an amazing thought. And we, we say this a lot, but rarely understand or comprehend what we're saying. We say we belong to Christ. Christ is ours and we are His. What does it mean to belong to Jesus? I've got about six scriptures here. So we want to let Scripture interpret itself. I'm going to show you what it means to belong to Jesus. Romans 8 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. To belong to Christ, then, is to have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and walking in Him, right? Living by Him. Next one, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What does Paul teach here? To belong to Christ is to sacrifice your life to make God look glorious, right? You're not your own anymore. You belong to Christ. You have a responsibility to represent Him and to make Him look glorious in this imperfect earthly body. That's what it means to belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's teaching on marriage. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. To belong to Christ means that you are to refuse slavery from anyone or anything that is not Jesus. You, you will not be a slave to any man on earth. You will not be a slave to anything on earth. Christ himself is your master. Right? We belong to Jesus. He masters us. Galatians 5, 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To belong to Christ is to be dead to the passions and desires of your flesh. Right? 
to not be led by those things any longer, but to practice self-control. In fact, not only to practice self-control, but Christ control. Christ controls us. So we don't cater to the passions of our flesh any longer. We've been made dead to those things. We've crucified it with Christ. Two more, Galatians 3. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. To belong to Christ is to be heirs of Abraham, to be true Jews, to inherit all the promises of the Old Testament, to be adopted into his family and to receive his covenant love that can never be squandered or obsolete. He loves us and made us his own heirs of the promise. 1 Corinthians 3, 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So finally, to belong to Christ is to boast in Christ, in all things. We've inherited all things in Christ, and Christ is God's. So we boast in Him and Him alone, not in man, certainly not in ourselves. If you're here today and you don't belong to Christ, let me call you to come, to repent of your flesh, to die to yourself once and for all, crucify these desires with Christ on the tree, and live no longer to yourself, but live to the greatest treasure, the one who you were created to know, the one who is of far surpassing worth. Won't you come and believe in him today? Be saved, be justified, be changed in an instance, and come along with us on this wonderful process of sanctification. There is no greater joy than to belong Come, come to Jesus. If you do belong to Jesus, we must press on. We are His, so we must press on. He saved us, He made us His own, not so that we could kick up our feet and relax now, and wait out our days, but to press on vigorously, running after the great prize of salvation. Now you see how necessary it is, right, for us to press on. The second part of this is how. How do we actually do that? How do we press on? We've only looked at one verse, so let's keep going. He tells us how to. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the, up, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature... Think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. One thing. One thing I do, Paul says. One thing I do. Now sometimes we want to read this as if it's connected to the previous phrase, but I think it's, it's an altogether new thought. He's not saying, I am perfect, but I am this. He's saying, this is how I press on. This is the one thing I do. And there's emphasis in the Greek. One thing, one thing. This is one thing. Literally, it would read, I myself do not consider to have taken hold of it, period. One thing indeed, however. One thing, new thought. This is it. And this one thing is actually three things. (laughs) 
He points us to three perspectives on our tutorial of how to press on. The past, the present, and the future. The past, forgetting what lies behind. What lies behind? Are we just called to pretend like yesterday never happened? Just ignore all the history books? I don't think so. Paul was obviously worried about the many churches he'd been to, which is why he wrote letters to them, reminding them of their time together, right? Paul's not trying to erase history. But I think he is suggesting selective amnesia. He was leaving behind an old life as a Pharisee, a self-righteous hero of the Jewish faith. Now why did he choose to forget that? Because it was incompatible with his new life in Jesus. It was incompatible with his new life. There's a famous race in 1954, Roger Bannister versus John Landy in the one-mile race. Keaton actually knows who they are. I didn't know who they were. Uh, Bannister was the first person to ever run a four-minute mile. He was the first person to ever run a four-minute mile, which makes me want to throw up. Um, but they were doing the one-mile race, and they were neck and neck. Landy was in the lead. He was gaining ground on Bannister. But as he got ahead, he stopped hearing Bannister's footsteps running behind him. So for just a moment, he turned his head back, right, to see how far he was behind. And he lost his focus just because he looked back. And Bannister ran ahead, and won by just five meters. This is a famous scene, right? Uh, his concern for what was behind him caused him to lose the race. In Luke 9, Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If we will press on, we must stop looking back. Individually and as a church. What are those things in your past that are incompatible with your new life in Christ? What are those major distractions that keep you from focusing on Jesus and running after Him aggressively? Perhaps you think, you know, I wasn't educated enough to really study the Bible. If only I had had a little more schooling or, you know, had took school seriously... You know, and we, we look back and say, if only, if only, if only, maybe then I would, I'd read my Bible. Perhaps you had dear friends and a sweet fellowship once before, maybe in this church or somewhere else. And any fellowship that God offers you today is constantly matched up to the fellowship you used to have and compared to. And you say, if only I had what I used to have, and so it's never good enough. Perhaps you had uh, someone who sinned against you personally. And instead of forgiving them in Christ, you hold it against them, constantly focusing on what happened in the past, choosing to hold a grudge. Perhaps you're stuck in your ancestral gene pool and you use that as an excuse not to serve in the local church. Well, mom and dad never did. Why should I? They didn't teach me how. And perhaps you're so hung up on the glory days that you're missing out on the daily graces right here in front of you today. God is the same God of yesterday. He has not changed. And He's here with us now. Forget 
what lies behind. Press on toward what lies ahead, which is the future. Straining, he says, straining towards what lies ahead, reaching out, stretching forward with intensifying desire, right? As if every move we make on earth should be an intense reaching towards heaven. And you can imagine the same runner from that story, right, that I shared a minute ago. What do you do after you run a four-minute mile? You collapse, right? You rest. In other words, knowing what's at the end of the race makes us run harder now. Rest is coming. Rest is promised us. Jonathan Edwards said, The way to heaven is ascending. We must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome and contrary to the natural bias of our flesh. It is hard to press on, but we must because we know what's at the end. You can see that the future is actually more connected to the present than the past is to the present. To make the most of our present, we dwell on what's to come. Not what we failed to achieve or what we have falsely achieved and boast in ourselves. Paul says we press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal is the prize and those who follow the upward call of God get the prize. What is the prize? Jesus is the prize. The prize is Jesus. One commentator says it is the full, complete gaining of Christ for whose sake everything else has been counted as loss, we finally get Him. Jesus is the prize of Christianity, which is why we're making sure that Christ is a central part of our mission statement as we replant together as a church. We worship the living God. We treasure Jesus Christ, and we serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the upward call of God. And so if you're fumbling around, struggling to keep pressing on in the faith, Here are the barriers. One, you're looking back far too often and constantly distracted about what used to be. Stop. Stop looking back. The Bible says you will grow if you look forward. Strain ahead. Or number two, you don't realize how great the prize is at the end of the race. Oh, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is no greater treasure than Christ Himself. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's the prize of Christianity. Oh, heaven would be useless if Christ were not there. He is the, he's the reward. It's all about Christ. It really has always been about Christ. And it will always be about Christ. But then there's a third barrier that Paul throws in at the end here that maybe you identify with more. And that's the barrier of immaturity. He says, let those who are mature, those of us who are mature, think this way. The word mature is translated complete or perfect, but really it just means all grown up. Those who are all grown up think like grown ups. If you think like a grown up, you're going to live your life like this. But if not, there's good news for the infants. God will reveal that also to you, Paul says. Not in a condemning way, like you don't get it. God's going to have to slap you upside the head, right? But God is full of grace. He will correct the immature and he will teach them 
how to grow and how to press on. Here is hope for the immature among us. Or here is hope for those of you who are frustrated with the immature among you. You wish they would grow. You wish they would get it. Be patient. God will reveal it to them. Be patient. Pray for them. God will show them the upward call. So regardless of what barriers you have in spiritual growth, Paul ends with such a simple piece of advice that anyone here can start applying immediately. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says us, right? He lumps himself in there. He's still, he's consistent. He's still running too. He's still pressing on himself. What is it that we have attained? We have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ, freely credited to our account. We have attained justification through faith alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have attained every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have attained our names written down forever in the Lamb's book of life. We have attained salvation from the wrath to come. So what is the goal of the Christian life? Let's not overthink it. Pretty simple. Hold true to what you've already attained. Hold true to the gospel. Eat it. Sleep it. Breathe it. Live it out every single day. Study the gospel. Pray the gospel. Speak the gospel. Hold true to Christ. 2020 has been pretty disappointing. I don't know what 2021 holds for us. Some have said the calendar is just going to flip over to December 32nd. Right? 2020 is just going to keep going. I don't know. I hope not. Sickness, trial, pain. We do not know. We do not know what tomorrow holds. But we can position ourselves in the sunlight so that our weary hearts can find all sufficient grace in the beauty of Jesus, the prize of Christianity. The upward call of God is ours. There's an old hymn we don't really sing anymore, but I thought it fit well with this text. It says, We would see Jesus for the shadows lengthen across this little landscape of our life. We would see Jesus our weak faith to strengthen for the last weariness, the final strife. We would see Jesus, the great rock foundation whereon our feet were set with sovereign grace, nor life nor death with all their agitation can thence remove us if we see his face. We would see Jesus, other lights are paling, which for long years we have rejoiced to see the blessings of our pilgrimage are failing. We would not mourn them, for we go to Thee. We would see Jesus. This is all we're needing. Strength, joy, and willingness come with the sight. We would see Jesus dying, risen, pleading. Then welcome day and farewell, immortal night. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.